In one way or another, every human being who has ever existed has been taught something by someone else. Teaching is the world's oldest profession and has evolved a lot. And with the development of technology in recent years, it is changing faster than ever before. It doesn't feel like that long since I left school, but already the classroom looks like a vastly different place to the one I knew. Smartphones, tablets and interactive whiteboards are all commonplace now and adolescents are exposed to a lot more. In this episode of Times 3, I talk to three generations of teachers to ask what's changed and as the internet helps to breed more independent learners, what will become of the teacher? Well, I'm 64. So someone could look at me and say... You know, you should stop. I hope I don't have to, because I think I'm better at it now than I have been. I teach English and literature and a number of different histories. I like teaching English because I love discussing ideas, and I like teaching history because I think everyone in the world should study history. It's a question I often get asked by students, because I think as a student, I think back when I was at school, you think, who on earth would choose to do this? It was only when I took this gap year and it was the first real job I had and was working in the school, I realised how varied and fun it was to be in an environment where, when I started, it was in the pastoral side of things, so working in the boarding school, and I got to pursue my own passions with tennis and snow sports and art and things like that, and realising you can do that for a job lured me in and have been working in schools ever since, which somehow is almost 13 years. I'm a teacher at a government school in Melbourne and I think when I first started I thought I'll I'll just do the two-year program and maybe I'll move on to whatever else I have figured out by then that I want to do. But now it's three years down the track and I'm about to enter my fourth year of teaching at that same school. So I teach about the cultures of Florence and Venice during the Renaissance, which is a pretty esoteric thing. I often think these 17-year-olds sitting in Australia in the 21st century, how odd it is they're learning about Florence in the 14th century. But of course that's not what they're learning. They're learning about how people created the culture or the society or the political system. And then hopefully that leads them to think about the culture, society and political system in which they live. For teaching art and design, I think the best thing compared to a formulaic subject like maths or science is that every student will produce something completely different. I'm going to teach 180 or more students. They're all going to be presented with the same tasks, but by the end of the year, I'm going to have 180 plus different outcomes. So the fact that every student will have a different response to it is probably the most engaging and exciting thing. I get quite excited by the fact that you can really look into how a student thinks by what they can produce. When I started a few years ago, I started as an Italian and philosophy teacher. Over the last few years, I've also taught pastoral, which in our school is a sort of life skills type subject. One of the best teaching moments I've ever had was in a year 11 philosophy class and the assessment task was a Socratic discussion and the students 
were required to have a philosophical discussion without my input and they would be marked on their contributions to that discussion. And I was quite prescriptive about what I wanted them to include in the conversation and what types of analysis I wanted them to attempt to do. On the day that we were doing the assessment task, I gave them a prompt to begin and then I just sat back and I sat outside of the circle and for, I don't know what it was, like maybe 25 minutes, I just listened to my year 11 students, 17 year olds, having a philosophical discussion and it was so rewarding and I wasn't doing anything, I was just listening. I think even from when I went to school before that, this post-industrial classroom hasn't really changed that much. Students will file in, they'll sit in rows, and you will teach, and then it'll be timetabled, and subject will be compartmentalised, you'll break for lunch, and then everyone goes home. So, Jets, what I want us to do today, and if you've just got to go back to the board, because I'm going to be talking to And then there might be sport in the afternoon. If we're going to spend a term talking about portraiture... Having that structure every day, not only for the teachers, but for the students to know where they're at and what they're doing, helps them to get in the right mindset, as opposed to, I guess, being free-range chickens and just floating around and thinking they're going to acquire knowledge by osmosis throughout the day. Uh, we know what it's called, yes? Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. So we'll do the easy stuff first. my vintage say I teach in a, a Catholic girls school and they went to Catholic schools and they say oh no it was terrible I'd never go there and I always think to myself nothing's the same no school is the same as when you went to school you know schools are, are expressions of culture in a sense so all schools have changed since I went there and other people went there well, it's funny. So I've taught for three years and in those three years there's been about three different curriculums that have come through. So it's interesting in such a short space of time to see how bureaucracy really affects the on-the-ground runnings of a school and we don't have any control over how this curriculum changes and how often, but then we just have to teach it. The like systems and protocols and things like that seem to change quite often and our main student management operating system has also changed about three times since I've been there. It's probably a good example of how complex the workplace of a school is because teachers have to be on top of all of the administration. When I first started out, I suppose, and this was just before the digital education revolution hit, but apart from technology rolling out into classrooms, there were certain things where I compared to now um, that didn't really exist. I didn't have things like anaphylaxis training and an understanding of how litigious schools were with protecting ourselves as, as a pretty vulnerable profession from parents that are quite quick to hold teachers accountable, and so they should. So I guess all the preparation and legal planning and protection that goes in before you even enter the classroom was something that has evolved and things like now receiving a list of every single allergy that a student has 
development of new conditions that are constantly added to the DSM, things like oppositional defiance disorder. Sometimes I think I'd rather not know that they had it so that I don't differentiate the way I treat them and so that I don't isolate the way I treat them or discipline them compared to everyone else because I think every student should be treated equally as opposed to having one set of rules for one student and another for others because I then think that creates disharmony when a student, I'm talking about teaching boys, think that the teacher's not being fair it can create more animosity than just from the one student with ODD. Yeah, there's lots of changes in curriculum and teaching practice. So if, if we're just comparing this private girls' school where I've taught, I would say that there is a growing consciousness about teaching and schools as service providers. And I would say along with that consciousness comes an understanding that parents and students are clients. I regret that because I don't think schools are corporations. Why do you think that's happened? I think it's partly a cultural thing. So I think when I first started teaching, it was a lesser culture where people were as articulate and as demanding about individual freedom and rights. There's an ad on television for insurance or something and it ends up with, for the most important person in the world, me. And that often strikes me as an expression of the culture in which we live. So people are very sort of strident and more people are outspoken about their rights, which to me then is expressed in the relationship between individuals and institutions and leads to this thing of the individual being a client institution owing a service and for many institutions I think this is right you know institutions do provide services but I think schools shouldn't be restricted to that understanding it's important to point out that I teach in a private school a school where people pay a considerable amount of money for their children to be educated so I think it's natural that they might think I'm paying for this and I'm getting incompetent teaching or I'm not getting value for my money. It is a service in that sense. But the child has a relationship with the teacher. Now that relationship may be distant or that relationship may be destructive but in the best of all possible worlds the relationship that the student has with the teacher promotes the learning. Some of the biggest things I've seen change are mental health awareness and the fact that students are now encouraged to seek help, which is a big challenge, especially for boys, to not feel shame if there's something that's not right. It can be very obvious if a boy's hurt their leg or it's been a sporting injury, but now encouraging boys to be comfortable to seek a counsellor or to seek a mentor or someone to speak with their issues is something that feels like it's evolved dramatically over the years. Teaching boys more about equality and embracing their fellow students and acknowledging the fact that everyone's differences are what makes the classroom rich as opposed to foreign is something that's changed. And for those perhaps in the minorities, feeling like their voice should be heard just as much as any other student. And now schools seem to be promoting that as much as wider society should be. And if you can teach that to adolescents when their brains are adaptable and sponge-like, 
hopefully we're sending them into the adult world with these skills equipped to pass it on to wider society where those skills might not be taught. So who's got any other facts or things that we could build upon this? Who knows anything about Leonardo da Vinci or the Mona Lisa that we can have? Uh, one of the most famous parts in the smile. Okay, excellent. What expression is on her face, do we think? I think I've definitely Relax. evolved. Upon reflection, I think when I first started, and it's probably more to do with insecurity, being a lot closer to the student's age, was probably more of an authoritarian than I am now. And you see that often with younger teachers that they go in pretty hard at the start to try and establish the boundaries between themselves and students. Uh, some get it wrong, and I probably got it wrong at the start by that balance between wanting the students to like you, but you don't need to be their friend but then also being quite a disciplinarian. I think there was more to cover up for the fact I hadn't established a range of tools and approaches to control a classroom and students without, I guess, being, I won't say aggressive, but perhaps sterner with students. Whereas now I think I've established a far better rapport with how I control them. Does that make your job easier? Yeah, much easier. Being a severe disciplinarian can be quite draining. So if you're taking that approach for seven periods a day, and you're going into each classroom thinking it's going to be more of a battle than a rich learning experience. By the end of the day, you can be a bit worn out just by the fact that you've been butting heads with students when there's so many different approaches to handle them and to appreciate the way they learn. I don't want to be cold. I, like, I'm a warm person. I think I'm a friendly person. So I want my students to see that and I want to be approachable because... That's part of the teaching role as well, that sort of welfare type aspect of it. So I want to be all of those things, but I don't want to be their friend. And I've got to draw the line sometimes. And, you know, you go one minute from saying, well done to a student and I'm so proud of you, to the next minute, you need to stop doing that right now. That's not how we behave in this classroom. So it's, it can be a really strange dynamic. And if you're trying to be friends with the students, I just don't think it really works. Okay, alright, so I want you to turn to... Guys, come on, year 11. Where are you going? Where are you going? I was told, because I was going into a school in a low socioeconomic area, I knew that there would be challenges in terms of what we call classroom management. So I expected that. I still experienced a bit of culture shock because the environment of the school that I teach in is vastly different to the type of school I was educated at. So that took a lot of adjusting. And I've just completed three years there and still there were moments in the past 12 months where I was sort of in disbelief about what, what was going on in front of me. The attitude that the students that I teach have towards their teachers is often, and not always, but often very different to the attitude and rapport that I had with my teachers when I was at school. And that's really about formality. So what type of language do you use when you speak to someone who's older than you, when you speak to someone who's in a position of authority, um, what type of distance do you leave between the two of you? And when I was at school, you know, you could probably say I was a goody two-shoes, but I was always very respectful of the teachers. There are times in my teaching career when I haven't been shown respect, and it, it's sometimes it's quite shocking because all I've ever known before this experience is of the teacher-student relationship being one that's 
you know, distant and of an authority being respected by the person that they're teaching. And sometimes it's hard not to judge because the way that I was brought up, I can't help but think that that has really helped me. You know, when I've gone for jobs or um, when I've met new people or joined a new group, I've used those skills to speak to people and to make them feel good and, yeah. I feel like technology is changing things. We're moving to a bring your own device system at school where the students will all bring in their own type of laptop. And I feel like this opens up lots of possibilities for you know, flipping the classroom, you know, students doing a lot of the learning at home and then mainly doing discussion at school. Oh, absolutely. I love it. So, I used to work in a classroom where there was chalk. Then I worked in a classroom that had a whiteboard. Now I work in a classroom with an IWB, which is an interactive whiteboard. So it's like your computer screen is the board. Teaching the Renaissance, I could always call up the images. Just fabulous to show them the image and then to be able to talk about it. There are always students who'll exploit your goodwill. So technology means they can exploit it much more. So I guess what technology means is I have said to them, if you want me to correct your work on the weekend, you can't email me at eight o'clock on a Sunday night. So, you know, technology brings about changes. So you've got a changing response to technology. You create a new way of relating. The biggest challenge is that we've rolled out all this technology now and put it in the hands of students and asked parents to fund this. This is, I'm just speaking from an independent education perspective. But striking that balance between when the tool is used for learning and when it is used for entertainment is something we haven't got right just yet. So it all looks well and good, I guess, for those that implement the hardware and software and the, the technical gurus in schools to roll all this technology out, but for those that are beyond the help desk and are standing in front of 25 adolescents, how to manage it so that they're going to acquire the knowledge you want to achieve in 45 minutes, even though there's something in front of them that perhaps is far more enticing. It only takes, I guess, a look around a restaurant to see that this is not an issue isolated just to children. And if you see that an adult who's probably in a social enjoyable situation is more attracted to looking at their device, You've got to think, how can a 15-year-old in period 7 on a hot day be engaged by you talking about the merits of cubism in society? So if we can't get it right as adults, we're expecting a lot of teenagers to get it right. Yes, I think it's really crazy to... Allow, to, to uh, no, I don't think it's crazy. I think smartphones are fantastic. You know, they can use their smartphone as uh, an information source. However, equally, they can be getting messages... Um, they can be distracted, uh, you know, students often say, can I go to the toilet? And you know that probably they're going to the, they might be getting a message or ringing someone. There's a tension with technology, good yeah. and bad. I hope to sit going in a place where teachers feel empowered as opposed to intimidated by having to use this technology. The opportunities are incredible. You can check out videos and interviews with artists and you 
find timelines and you can collaborate with students overseas. So there's certain challenges, but I think there's more opportunities now than teachers had before technology. Yeah, I wonder about whether the role of the teacher will change through that and whether we'll have to be sort of available to students all the time because they can contact us all the time. But I'm not sure. There's a lot of rhetoric around about 21st century skills and preparing students for careers that don't even exist yet and all that sort of talk. But I don't know if we've really mastered what that means. You can access that information, but how are you developing the skills to retain it or to think on a more complex or abstract level? And that's the role of the teacher. How can you ask a student to develop the language and the skills and the understanding to perhaps interpret an artwork and the emotions and the, the concept it has within an environmental aspect or how it impacted society? And they're not the kind of questions you can just type into Google. You know, if you're a teacher and you're listening to some of this, you might think, oh, well, the place for the teacher is getting smaller and smaller and technology is opening the world for students to teach themselves. But in line with what I was saying about one of the parts of the dynamic of teaching is the relationship, I think that will always be a constant in good teaching, even though the structures and the technologies and the constructs change. To me, I think teaching will remain the same as it was for Socrates Aristotle, as I think it will be in another 2,500 years. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll teach forever. One of the things that comes to mind is that stressful, fast-paced day. I don't, I don't think I can do that forever. As much as I really, really enjoy teaching, I still find it quite challenging. And I think that's good. I think it's sort of invigorating to be constantly challenged. But sometimes it's just completely exhausting as well. With 45 minutes, I think by the time you go through the mechanics of getting a classroom set up and you'll file in and you take a register and then you set up all the equipment for an art lesson, it feels by the time the students have picked up the paintbrush, they're then packing up again. So 45 minutes is a limited window. I try and make my classroom a pretty fun place to be, but it's also that balance of it being an enjoyable classroom to be in, but acknowledging that there's learning outcomes to achieve. And so I encourage students to engage and acknowledging that whatever that idea is in a subject like art, it's so subjective that all those opinions are welcome. So it's very rarely they'll be wrong as long as they can develop the skills to articulate. Yeah, who wants to give me a definition of that? Yeah. Like, you to people. Right. What do we know about Da Vinci? Does anyone, has anyone known about him before? Or? I think once students start to walk into your classroom and it's a safe place to express those ideas, that there'll be no ridicule, obviously, from the teacher, but there'll be no tolerance of those that want to put down a student that wants to put an idea forward. Hopefully, they grow in confidence so that when, by the end of semester, perhaps I'm opening up the same kind of discussion, more hands are going up and more people think, actually, if I put in, I'm going to get more out. That's what I'm most passionate about, you know, creating opportunities for students to step up and be independent and do things for themselves mm. because I think that independence and that drive is what's going to really help them when they finish school. I don't know whether I did much great teaching, maybe I did, I don't know, but I think now nah, I'm better at it. It's funny, I was just walking up from the beach before and I was thinking about 
I was thinking how lucky I am. I, I think the best thing about teaching is, well for me I get to talk about ideas with people who are interested in ideas and the other thing is I play a part in the lives of young people and I think that's an enormous privilege.